I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Genesis uh, chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We've been in a short series through the attributes of God as they're listed for us in the Belgic Confession in Article 1. And we come now to our last sermon in this series as we deal with what's often referred to as God's moral attributes. And the Belgic Confession lists three of them for us, namely his wisdom, his justice, and his goodness. And what I want us to do is to see, firstly, in Genesis chapter 2 and then into chapter 3, uh, the wisdom, the justice, and the goodness of God revealed in creation. And we're going to see later on as well how God's goodness, wisdom, and justice are also revealed in his work of redemption as well, and specifically in the sending of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to take on our flesh as we think about around this time of year. So Genesis chapter 2, we'll read uh, actually through chapter 4, verse 1. And this is the holy and inspired word of God. Beginning at verse 4, actually, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, And there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the garden the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. <coughs> Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So far from God's holy word. We're going to turn now to the Belgic Confession. In the back of the hymnal that we sang from, you should find it on the chair next to you. On page 855 in the back, 855, Article 1. We'll read this article together. Article 1, the only God. We all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we, (coughs) eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all good. So far from the confession there. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come now to the conclusion of our series on the attributes of God. And we had noted uh, previously that the attributes of God are the 
perfections of God that have been revealed to us in his works, the perfections of God that he has revealed to us in his works. And of course, the highest point of that revelation comes in the giving of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, revealing to us who God is. And here specifically in our final sermon, we're going to be considering what's often referred to as God's moral attributes, his wisdom, his justice, and his goodness. And we're going to be considering them at three different points in redemptive history, the goodness, wisdom, and justice of God in creation, how they were then twisted in the fall, and how God then demonstrates them once again in redemption and in his people who are made in his image. And so before we jump into creation, we can think very briefly, kind of give a, a working definition of these attributes first, and then we'll work through creation, fall, and redemption as we think through uh, these attributes of God. First, the wisdom of God, as the confession speaks of, that God is completely wise. What does it mean when we confess that our God is completely wise? Well, it means that God orders everything according to his appointed ends, namely to glorify himself. The wisdom of God is that God orders the creation and he orders history and he governs it all according to his wisdom, which means it all leads to his appointed end, namely the glory of his name. God is wise in ordering everything to its highest end, namely himself. And we see this again, as we're going to see, reflected in creation, twisted in the fall, but then restored again in redemption. So the wisdom of God is that he orders everything according to his appointed end, namely to glorify himself. Secondly, we speak of God's justice. What is God's justice? Well, justice of God is that God is, does right in all that he does. Abraham had asked the question, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? The justice of God reminds us that God is a judge, uh, but also that God, all that, all that God does, God does rightly, God does righteously, God does perfectly. And so we see the justice of God as well. And thirdly, we speak of God's goodness. What is God's goodness? Well, God's goodness is his bounty and generosity in giving himself, God giving good things to his people. And while this symbol has been co-opted or or commandeered by the culture around us, but in many ways, the rainbow in scripture provides us with a beautiful picture, a symbol of God's goodness. It reminds us that God is one who will not flood uh, the earth again. But more than that, even the colors of the rainbow remind us that God's goodness is variegated and multicolored. God's goodness, as it's shown to those who are undeserving of punishment, looks like mercy. God's goodness in giving good gifts to us, his people, looks like his love for us in giving his son. God's goodness in bestowing upon us gifts looks like his grace, right? Um, and so on from there. His patience as God is good in withholding judgment and being, giving a time of salvation for his people. The goodness of God is refracted in all of these various other attributes we often speak of. His love, his mercy, his grace, his patience and forbearance. All of those things um, are reflected uh, or are reflections of our confession that God is good. All right, so those are just brief definitions and now we're going to look at 
how they are reflected for us in the creation account. And first we see in Genesis 2 the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. We see this in the fact that he is one who ordered everything in this garden. At the center of it being the tree of life and man made in his image. He ordered all of it that it might reflect and bring him glory. Man made in his image to reflect him. And that was wise on God's part to create those who could respond personally to him and reflect his glory throughout the earth. We see it in the way he ordered the garden itself, filling it uh, with luscious trees and, and uh, for food for man to enjoy and placing within it a tree of life. The tree of life symbolizing, some would say sacramentally, the higher life that was offered to Adam, life of glory in the presence of God, even life in heaven. And so we see the wisdom of God displayed in his ordering of creation in such a way that all of it was intended to bring him glory. We see also the justice of God in creation as he uh, gives this command uh, within the covenant of works to Adam. God establishes a covenant with Adam. And within that covenant, God commands him first and foremost to enjoy the bounty that he has placed before him. We'll say more about the goodness of God in a moment. But within that command, God then restricts eating of one single tree, right? You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here we see the justice of God, especially later in this account, as when man does eat of this tree, God carries out the punishment that was attached uh, to this disobedience. Man does die spiritually. Man does die as his life now becomes a process of decay, soon to then return to the dust. And so we see the justice of God reflected for us here in creation and then also in the fall. And then thirdly, in creation, we see the goodness of God. Right? We see his goodness in that he provided a place of bountiful plenty, bountiful and plenteous, whatever, however you might want to combine those two words, right? It's a garden that's luscious. God did not create man first in a, in a void, but he first plants a garden. He first tills and toils a place, a land, and then he places man into it to show the goodness of God that man was to see around him at every point, no corner could he turn, no inch of creation could he look at without seeing something of the goodness of God reflected, the goodness of his father. And that's how Adam was then to understand his God. His God was good. His God was just. His God was wise. And Adam then as his image bearer was to submit himself to that and with all joy receive his God, walk with his God as God's intended purpose for his people, that they might worship and glorify his wisdom, his justice, and his goodness. And this we see in the very intention of creation itself. But secondly, the fall takes place, right? The fall takes place, and man who was to receive and be under God's wisdom, his justice, his goodness now begins to twist those attributes of God and no longer sees him as wise, but as foolish. No longer sees him as just, but tyrannical. No longer sees him as good, but ultimately 
evil. And this comes about through the twisting and the deceit of the serpent. The serpent begins to bring into question God's character. He maligns the character of God. Did God really say? Questioning his truth and the rightness of God in speaking and the words that he had spoken. Questioning God's motives. Saying that God's really keeping you from realizing your full potential. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God is hiding these things from you. He's keeping these things from you. And so the, good, the wisdom of God is brought into question by the serpent who says that God is not ordering things to his glory, but rather God is ordering everything to suppress and hurt you. The same with his justice. It begins to be twisted by the serpent. God won't carry out what he said. God won't. You won't surely die. The justice of God is not something that you need to worry about. And then finally, the goodness of God, right? His character, again, is brought into question where Adam is thought to think that God is not good but evil. That God is not one who can be trusted and looked to as a source of all that is good, but one who is to be uh, run from, one who is to be avoided, one who who is to be um, disobeyed if one is to realize his true potential and goodness. And this fall, the twisting of the character of God continues to abide in the sons of Adam unless they are born again. If you, I believe it was Sinclair Ferguson in one of his books had said, you know, if you scratch an unbeliever, they bleed distrust of God. They bleed, they bleed hatred of God because at, at the bottom of their hearts, of their fallen sinful hearts, is that they believe that God is out to get them. That God is not good but evil. God is not wise but foolish. God is not just but tyrannical. We see this reflected around us. We may have known this in our own hearts. At some points of life, right, we distrusted the Lord. We maligned his character in our own hearts. Often the question that we might ask, you know, we're speaking with people who are unbelievers and they refuse to follow the Lord despite the, the, the gospel of God being presented to them, of his goodness, of his love for the world, and they turn from it. And they often do so with vehemence because they hate God. And they hate God because they have a twisted picture of who he is. And so God has given us his revelation, right, his word, that we might know him truly, that we might be restored in knowing him as good and wise and just. And praise God that by the work of his spirit and the preaching of his word, Christ makes us new again, that we might again see God as he truly is, not twisted according to the lens that Satan has put over our eyes, but rather rightly through the lens of scripture itself, And as we read through the scriptures, as we're going to come to see in our third point, God over and over again reminds his people that he is wise in his dealings and in his plans, that he is just in all that he does, and that he is good to his people. And so let's see that in our third point, the goodness, the wisdom, and the justice of God in redemption, and specifically During this time of year, we often reflect, and right, goodly so, if that's a word, on the incarnation, on the sending of God's Son to this earth to save sinners. You shall call his name Jesus, right? For he shall save his people from their sins. He sends his Son, the Word made flesh, 
to enter into our lot, to enter into the brokenness, to come to a, under the curse of the law, and to come to us and identify with us in everything save sin itself. And in that act of God, in that wonderful work of salvation that God began in sending his son, we see his wisdom, we see his justice, we see his goodness. We see his wisdom as only God himself could conjure and conceive of such a plan that he would send his only beloved son and that by doing so to send him to die for sinners, that it would bring him glory. That through this act of humiliation, God would exalt him. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth, and confess that he is Lord. This is the wisdom of God in his plan of salvation that through sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, here, he came not merely to demonstrate his love and give us a sort of sentimental, warm feeling inside, but to bring glory to himself. And that glory is for the good of his people and for us as, as we come to share in that glory as well. This is what the author of Hebrews reminds us. That as God glorifies himself in his son and sending him, so too we have a share uh, in that glory. Hebrews chapter 2. It says there that we see him, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, in order that he might bring us to God and that he might bring us to share in his glory. This is the wisdom of God, the wisdom that the Apostle Paul talks about uh, before the world it believes, the, the world believes the wisdom of God is foolish in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for example. That God would send his son, that this would be the way of salvation, the world could never have conceived it. It never would have entered their minds that it's through humiliation, that it's through suffering, that God would bring glory to himself. And we see this throughout Jesus' own life. His glory is hidden, though peeled back for a time during the transfiguration before uh, his apostles. And yet the glory of God was hidden. And it remains hidden today as Christ, the risen King, is in heaven, veiled there. And it's by eyes of faith that we see him, as the Hebrew says. We see him as we see him through the lens of his word. And this is the wisdom of God, foolishness to the Gentiles, folly and a stumbling block to Jews, but to us it is the power of God. It is, it is his wisdom, Christ who has become wisdom for us. We see the justice of God as well in sending his son because he sends his son knowing, you know, well, let's ask the question, why does God have to send his son? 
One of the reasons is that he might satisfy his justice. Because we as his people had sinned against him. And because God is just, our sins must be punished. Our sins must be uh, paid for. And God then sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might pay the penalty of our sins for us. And in so doing, uphold the justice of God. God does not compromise his justice in saving sinners. Rather, he upholds his mercy and his justice in giving the Lord Jesus Christ to die in our place, to be our substitute. The incarnation reminds us of the justice of God. Christ is here because of our sins. Christ is sent because of our sins in order that he might save us from them. He might satisfy the righteousness and the justice of God in order that we might go free. This is the justice of Christmas. This is the wisdom of Christmas. And thirdly, we also see, of course, the goodness of the incarnation of Christmas itself. The goodness of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In the giving of his Son, we see the goodness of God on full display. And the Apostle Paul draws this, this logical conclusion out for us, right? If he did not spare his own son, right? In sending him, he sent him to die. If he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not with him graciously give us all things? That's the logic of the Christian that we need to see here. And that God has given us his son, withholding nothing from us. And therefore, our attitude towards God is not one of thinking that he is evil and withholding from us, but one that says, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And he has. He's given us his son and with him everything. He's given us a kingdom. He's given us new life. He's given us his spirit. He's given us hope. He's given us knowledge of him. He's given us joy in him again. All of these things are ours in Jesus Christ. Because his goodness was put on full display at Christmas. His goodness was given in full display as he sent his son for us to satisfy his justice according to his wisdom. And now, just to come to a conclusion here, right? We, as those who are now being conformed to the image of Christ, our call to go forth in light of this, reflecting the wisdom of God, trusting his plan and his ways, and not thinking ourselves wiser than God, but submitting ourselves to his ways and following them wholeheartedly. We are to reflect the righteousness and justice of God in our own lives as those who do what is right according to God's word. And we are to be those who reflect the goodness of God knowing that as we have received, so also we then give ourselves back to God and we give ourselves to one another in service and in love. That is the true meaning of Christmas, if yeah, every movie is searching for that. The true meaning is found in God's wisdom, in God's justice, in God's goodness, and God restoring us again to reflect that as his image bearers more and more as he sanctifies us by his word and spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not treated us as our sins deserve, but that you have revealed your goodness 
in colorful display in the Lord Jesus Christ and sending him to save us from our sins. Father, we know that you created us originally to bring you glory, to reflect your justice and your wisdom and your goodness. And though fallen in Adam, you have restored us in a second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as your people then, as who belong to Jesus, may we be those uh, who demonstrate your goodness, uh, who hold uh, you before our, our, ourselves as our highest good, and that we might pursue uh, your glory in everything. Father, may our lives reflect your justice, and may it reflect your wisdom as we submit ourselves to you, our God. So bless us to this end, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.